Hey everyone, it's Matthew here at Midland Pictures. Just sitting down to uh, have a little discussion about some of the things that have been on my mind. I hope you've been enjoying some of the studio upgrade videos. Uh, I know they're a little long, so I apologize, but for those of you who are really interested in seeing what we're doing, I thought it'd be a cool way to share how we're converting some of the space here into stuff that we can actually use for production. Oddly enough, with the production studio for the most part done with phase one, I'm filming here on the couch. Um, in the main part of the studio where we edit and do all of our work. I just thought it was a little bit, I don't know, a little bit more casual, a little bit less, uh, a little bit more ready for something like this, which is sort of just like a sit down chat with you guys as I discuss some of the things that have made me switch gears into really focusing on creating content on our own uh, on a daily basis on everything from Instagram stories to now YouTube and finding out ways to create more original content, whether it's scripted, scripted web series that's sort of inspired by a lot of the, you know, the streaming services that have come out, Netflix and all that, you know, a lot of those shows are really inspiring. And I've come from a background of filmmaking, writing primarily, and that's really what's at the center of wanting to sit down and just have a little bit of a talk on how some of the changes I've made recently have been for the better, even though sometimes I question whether or not I pivoted to this or gave up on this other thing that I was pursuing, namely screenwriting. The reason I wanted to talk about it because there may be some of you out there who are just starting to think about pursuing a career in the performing arts, whether it's acting, screenwriting, directing, producing, whatever uh, it is that excites you. And I have taken a really circuitous path, and I know we touched on it in the first video. To get to this point, I think it's natural for people to wonder if some of the things they've done was sort of a, a wrong turn. And I don't want to sound like I'm coming off with regret or concern that what I've done is hasn't been the best decision because I really do operate a lot from impulse and a gut feeling on doing what I feel is the best thing that I can do in the moment with all the information that's led up to that moment, all the information that I have. So like I said in the first video, if you haven't watched it, you can go back. It's the very first video we posted as a company. I just talked a little bit about my background after high school. Um, kind of wandering a little bit as far as college goes from computer science to English and French and then landing on getting accepted at the University of Illinois in Champaign in their theater program. The reason I applied for theater was because I was technically a sophomore transfer as opposed to a junior and the English department wasn't accepting sophomore transfers. You know, my dad was an English teacher. I had really done well in English and writing and um, you know, novel classes and analyzing literature and all that kind of stuff in high school. And I really thought that that would be a good fit for me having abandoned computer programming and computer science because my tech savviness and tech know-how wasn't quite, quite where it needed to be to, you know, com to program computers in C++. So when I couldn't get into the University of Illinois as an English student, I was almost devastated um, because that was really the only option I thought there was. And I, and I really, really wanted to go to the University of Illinois. It just meant a lot to me to kind of get lost in a big campus and have this 
really, really powerful college experience. So I got a list of alternate programs I could apply to, and one of them was theater, specifically acting. And um, I thought, well, you know, I was in a play in high school, and I've always had sort of the performance sensibility. Because I want to get into the University of Illinois so badly, this is a good option for me. And then when I went to the school to take the tour, because um, they had received my application and had me come down for... Uh, you know, to meet some of the teachers and to tour the facilities and all that stuff and, and to audition. That was part of the requirements of getting into the acting program is you had, you had to audition with a contemporary monologue and a classical monologue, which I was like, okay, I can do that. And I, and I did. I was on the tour with one of the faculty members and I asked them, you know, how many people apply to this program? And they said that between Chicago and people who came down to the campus, that roughly 700 people applied to the program. And I'm like, oh, wow, well, this is a big school. I think with grad students, it's something like 40,000 people go to this school. So I said, well, how many acting students get accepted to the freshman class? And the faculty member looked back at me and said, only 15. And I was just floored. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the odds, how, how is this kid who's been in one play uh, from Woodstock, Illinois, and hasn't really done anything um, of significance in theater, especially among my, my, my fellow students, you know, thespians and all that stuff. So I, I'm almost in panic mode here going, well, now you really need to nail this audition to make it so that it's a no-brainer for them to accept you. Again, because my goal wasn't necessarily to get into the acting program and be an actor, my goal was to simply get into the University of Illinois. Like, that was the most important thing to me. And you know, maybe I'll transfer out of the acting program or do something else later. So that's sort of indicative of how throughout my life those impulses and those, those decisions, I think, led me on the right path, but I was always off center of, especially in my professional pursuits, my career, like this is the thing I want to do for the rest of my life and I know it with my whole being. So I did the audition and I actually forgot a couple lines of my contemporary monologue, but I've somehow covered it and I don't think anybody really noticed. And a few weeks later at home, I got the letter that said that I'd been accepted to the acting conservatory. I was one of the 15 students out of 700 or so that applied that got in. I remember bursting into tears, but again, not because I got into the acting program. It was because I just got into the university. I just wanted to go to the University of Illinois. There really weren't any other options. I didn't want to go to Illinois State. I hadn't applied to the University of Illinois at Chicago. I didn't want to go to Eastern Illinois or Western Illinois. And again, nothing against those schools. It just it just didn't feel like it was where I belonged. So that really was one of the first the first experiences with college, you know, like sort of just on a whim, you know, computer science, you know, I like computers. I, I set up my dad's Hewlett Packard, you know, uh, P PC and got on AOL. Like I can I can be a computer scientist. And then, oh, you know, I like French and English. I know maybe I'll be an English and French major. And then going, well, why am I gonna pay for out-of-state tuition at Iowa State to be an English and a French major? So I'm gonna go back home to community college and then I'm gonna get my grades up and apply to University of Illinois. And even that was impulsive. I didn't even do my research to know that I didn't have enough credits to count as a junior and that most of the departments there wouldn't take sophomore transfers. 
So all these things, and I'm sort of making it up as I go along, and again, it, it ended up working out, but then I go through four years of a conservatory acting program where, uh, you know, I'm kind of faking it until I make it. I didn't really love acting, and I was terrified of all my classmates because they loved it. Like, this is what they wanted to do. And granted, not all of them since graduation have gone on to be actors, but a good amount of them have. And it's obvious that they are. They are so hardworking, so talented, so driven, so focused on accomplishing this goal that they had since who knows when, when they were young. And I've just sort of always just kind of gone on these impulses, gone into something, lacked the self-discipline to really see it through and gone, eh, eh, forget it. You know, I don't really want to do it anymore. And then just done something else, mostly just just whatever I felt in the moment felt fun and exciting and and, and either, either lent itself to natural talent I may have had or natural ability and didn't really require any work or any self-discipline. And I graduated from acting school after really faking my way through it. I lucked out and got into a couple of good roles um, for plays. I think my professors really stuck their neck outs for me and took a chance being in these roles and you know most of these auditions that i did i didn't even really do anything to prepare for them i i hardly memorized the monologues i would forget my lines in the middle of an audition it really was just a disaster but when it mattered most i would dig deep and deliver i would memorize the monologue i had a re-audition for the acting conservatory after the sophomore year to make sure we could go to the junior and senior level you know, I, I had a sword fight, actually kind of the opposite. We had a, a sword fight in our senior year with my sparring partner as part of our certification process. And we rehearsed and rehearsed hours for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we goofed up the fight, I goofed up the fight and the whole thing fell apart and I walked off the stage. Sort of like the last, it's like this perfect thing to summarize my experience in the acting school and, and how I half-assed so many things that this thing that I really dedicated myself to and rehearsed and practiced and studied and figured out blew up in my face during the performance and instead of getting it together with my acting partner and figuring it out to finish I just walked off the stage you know and, and, and again that's I think symbolic of the things I've done in the past like when it got gets difficult I just give up and walk off so moving to Chicago after I graduated and picking up a job at the grocery store at least the grocery store company not the same exact store where I'd always worked on my summers and uh, throughout high school, you know, they happily took me back and I did my thing there for my 30 or so hours a week and, you know, sort of half-assedly looked up auditions and just didn't really put any effort into it at all. I, I just didn't like it. I didn't care. And like I said in the first video, I had this crisis moment sitting in a movie theater going, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? What are you, what do you want to do? What is the one thing that when shit's going bad that you want to do? And the answer was always go to the movies or watch a movie. And I thought to myself, you know, I've, I've acted a little bit, I've written, I read, wrote a few plays and really enjoyed that. Maybe I will try to be a screenwriter. And of course, again, impulsively, I decided to apply to a bunch of schools. You know, that's the, that's the most direct path. You know, forget moving out to Hollywood and interning and working for free and PAing and, you know, working my way up from the bottom. 
I'm just going to go into debt $100,000 uh, at a out-of-state school, or maybe even more, depending on if I got into USC or Boston University, which are all private schools with more expensive tuition, and you know, and uh, learn how to be a screenwriter. So I did that, and uh, you know, went through school, and I had a lot of success. You know, I wrote some good stuff, at least according to the faculty. And again, you know, they're 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 assessing this based on somebody who hasn't really written a lot before and doesn't have a ton of experience. But you know, I think they saw that there was some talent there, and there was a lot of drive. I really worked hard to work all the time and to stay disciplined in getting my stuff done and really trying to work well. I, I was disciplined in dissecting scripts and reading scripts and watching movies and trying to understand the architecture of film and learning the rules so that I could change the rules and do different things and do what I wanted. Um, you know, that two-year program really did teach me a lot and it let me know that my passion for writing and screenwriting was cemented and I needed to move to Los Angeles to pursue it. So I did that. Um, and this is really where I first started to show signs of a strong self-discipline, a strong dedication to something, having a specific goal of having a produced screenplay, you know, this, this one movie made goal that I had, you know, on a, on a piece of paper, it was written above my desk. And I just cranked out scripts. I think I wrote, I've written a total of, I think, 12 feature screenplays. I must have in that time in LA written four or five of them. Um, really studied the movies that were inspiring me. And at the same time, I was working with my buddy Nick on the, on the post-production and editing and all that stuff and learning that form. But I was also going very deep into debt, um, doing the internship and then having sort of non-traditional employment, self-employment not knowing that you have to set aside some of that money for taxes, um, you know, going there, going, going to L.A. with about $10,000 in savings and blowing through that very quickly. Not necessarily irresponsibly, but a car payment. We needed furniture. Um, we had to pay $1,200 a month in rent, and it just it goes like that. Any time that I was not working with Nick, I was at home writing scripts doing whatever I could to try to make some connections with representation, managers, um, agents. I got read by a few agents. They passed on everything that I wrote. Entering contests, the Nickel Fellowship, all this stuff trying to write and, and finding that handing my script over, something I worked on for six months uh, on one script, a year on another, two years on another, kept meeting these gatekeepers and not making it past. Um, it wasn't winning contests. They weren't getting reviewed on screenwriting websites. I really believed in these properties. I thought that they were powerful, powerful stories because they were scripts and, and stories for movies that I wanted to go to the theater and see. These were the things that I really was passionate about, the themes, the characters, and I really believed and still do that the writing was good even if some of the execution, the architecture, um, wasn't quite there, but sometimes I would think, you know, is me moving to Omaha and, because we were out of money and in debt uh, quite a bit, and we just, we were flat out broke. We were busted. You know, did I, did I fail? Did I do something wrong? Uh, did I not plan this? And I think the answer is yes. Everything being on a whim, on an impulse, just going on a gut feeling without really having any practicality or a strategy or a real plan for savings. You know, everything's, oh, I'm going to sell a script in a year, so, you know, that's going to be six figures. We're going to be fine. And I've been still struggling since moving to Omaha to 
keep connected to that goal of one movie made. And the amount of writing that I was done decreased because I had to find employment, again, freelancing, then getting a full-time job at a production company. I was writing nights and weekends when there was a project that was ready to go, like the sci-fi spec that I wrote a few years ago. Actually, I think it's like four years ago that I started writing it, and two years or so ago that it, um, that it actually went out um, to all the studios. You know, you're writing that stuff nights and weekends. You believe in it, you think it's great, and the team of producers and your manager take this to the town, and these gatekeepers, it could be could have been a reader at an agency. It could have been a reader at a studio. It could have been a studio exec. And they all said no. And then the production company that we had worked with to develop the property basically said that this, the, the story as a spec screenplay is dead. It's not going to go anywhere. It went out. Everybody said no. It's over. We can turn it into a TV show and try to sell it that way. And that's what we've been doing for the last two years. And it's taken that long because I've been slowly pivoting from this supreme focus on screenwriting to f commercial and nonprofit filmmaking for money to earn a living. And more recently, figuring out ways to create original content, building a brand, and finding an alternate route that bypasses the gatekeepers, that bypasses the middlemen. And this is really the key to this, to this discussion in this video. What I've come to realize is the power of the internet. What I've been missing since I started doing screenwriting was actually getting a finished product to an audience or to a market. By market, I mean an audience. You know, um, you know, a movie goes into theaters. It's sort of tested by the market. Do people show up and buy tickets and and see the movie, or uh, you know, is it a dud and it doesn't go anywhere? And then maybe it finds new life in, um, you know, what used to be home video and what's now streaming, you know, but those movies get, they get finished and they get to be seen. And a screenplay is really, not really just, it is a blueprint for a movie. And screenplays also aren't meant to be consumed by the general public. They aren't published. And of course, some of them are, you know, a Quentin Tarantino script, the script for Jaws, you know, all those. But a, a screenplay is... A piece of a larger puzzle and I think what I have always craved was creating something start to finish with collaboration and then taking that end product to the market showing it to an audience now before the internet or really before YouTube and some of these um, outlets where you can really just post a video uh, as you see fit the only option you had was to go through the traditional Hollywood channels to independently produce a movie or sell something to a studio. They cost a lot of money, so you have to get it financed. Uh, taking it to film festivals, which again, more gatekeepers. Finding ways to get distribution. You know, all these hurdles that you have to overcome. And, and I get it, it makes sense. A movie is an incredibly massive undertaking, even on a small independent scale. There's a lot of complex moving parts. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of money, even if it's only $30,000 up to $30 million. And I think just a combination of factors over the last few years and the frustration I've had with just, just bleeding over these scripts to try to get them revised and years of writing and rewriting. I actually have two other scripts that I spent years working on with a couple directors, a couple other writers, my manager, a few producers, and they're just sitting there. 
they haven't gone anywhere. They're either not viable or they aren't commercial enough to attract studio purchases. And we're hoping that some of the other commercial properties, the TV pilot that I have, if that sells, we can use that power and that leverage to then get some of the other scripts looked at more seriously. And it just, it, it takes so long. So I sit here as a 38 year old guy, having freelanced and worked at grocery stores and taken on a ton of college debt, packed our bags from Florida to move to Los Angeles to chase the dream only to be crushed by impulsive decisions, bad financial management, a great recession, gatekeepers that aren't saying yes. You know, my own issues with writing scripts, the, you know, the areas where I, I'm lacking in ability or execution, or maybe even talent, and not seeing the success coming back to Omaha and really starting all over again. How can someone like me, who has all this drive to create something, and get it in front of an audience. What can someone like me do to accomplish that, to build a brand, to build income, to pay down debt, to create leverage and independently finance, raise the money, pay for it myself, do what it takes to get some of these ideas I have out of me and put into a finished form. Whether it's a kid's show that involves puppets, whether it's a series of short films that we publish to the web, whether it's finding a way to, to finance on my own a little horror script that I wrote that takes place on an airplane, and then exhibiting those films, those shows, whether it's on YouTube, finding distribution in other ways, a full theatrical exhibition, film festivals, whatever it is getting a finished product to the market. You know, I've been a big Star Wars fan my whole life and something that this these recent sort of thoughts have made me take a look back on was a lot of the interviews and the things I've read about George Lucas and how his studio experience with 20th Century Fox with the original Star Wars and maybe to a lesser extent his experience with American Graffiti really drove him nuts. I think that he wanted he wanted collaboration, but he wanted ultimately to be in control of, of everything. He wanted to hire 20th Century Fox to distribute the films that he independently financed. He created Industrial Light and Magic. He built this power, this leverage, and this wealth in order to do what he wanted to do and to bring the properties that he had written and developed to an audience his way. The prequel trilogy despite its flaws, are some of the, if not the most expensive independent movies of all time. George Lucas paid for all that out of pocket and hired 20th Century Fox to distribute those movies, which meant the marketing and getting them into theaters. That's incredibly, incredible power. And it took creating Star Wars and Industrial Light and Magic, Skywalker Sound, THX. It took that process from, really from when Star Wars was done, all the way up until the prequels came out to build that power and that leverage. Now, George Lucas hasn't turned out films on a level of a Steven Spielberg, a Martin Scorsese, and some of the new Hollywood directors that he, um, that he was a part of as far as that movement goes, but he never had to sacrifice Final Cut. He never had to 
answer to a studio executive and change his story based on, you know, a focus screening. That there's some of those sensibilities inside of me to not really like to have to answer to anyone ultimately with the thing I'm trying to create. And that doesn't mean that I want to be a total auteur and have complete control of everything in the sense of shutting out collaboration. I love collaboration. I love partnering with other people. I love the idea that the best idea wins. The key to this is knowing that some of my instincts are right on, that, <clears throat> that I do know what I'm talking about and I have good ideas. And if I'm limited to just executing up to the point of the screenplay, I may be selling myself short on what I could do if I could see the whole process through and figure it out from there. And that's what really excites me about the internet in general, but social media, especially YouTube, because it cuts out the middleman. I don't need to go through the gatekeepers to have this thing that I want to create created. I can make this video. I can create a show. I can film short films. I can do whatever I want and bring it to an audience. If it's good and people can connect with it, they're entertained, they learn something, they're moved by it, it's going to get attention. It's going to get views. And I'll be able to connect with an audience and in, in the, in the filmmakers that I work with to, to do that, to teach, to, to entertain, to do what we all want to do when we work in the arts. And, and to express ourselves, to say, I have a vision, I have this thing that's inside of me and I want to share it with an audience. And for the first time, I'm starting to be able to do that. And it's incredibly exciting. I follow Peter McKinnon, Levi Allen at Left Coast, Sarah Dietschy. Uh, these YouTubers are finding success in their self-expression. Again, teaching, sharing their, their knowledge, um, giving insight into the products that they like, and, and maybe for them specifically, some of you know their films that they've made, especially Peter McKinnon, some of the stuff that they still do for commercial, commercial work or for clients, you know, that stuff gets shared with a huge audience. And in addition to that, they're financially viable. The idea that this stuff can be monetized, which, you know, for me is a big part of it because of the debt and the desire to expand and really build something. Not because I want this lifestyle of private jets and Rolexes and all that stuff. It's not about that at all. It's about bringing on people I work with as employees. It's about leasing a big warehouse and turning it into a creative space for original filmmaking and other original content, other YouTubers, um, other collaboration. It's about living in the art form it's about living in the it's about living in this creative space and being able to do the things and have the experiences that i truly value so i keep coming back to this this realization that the internet takes away all of the obstacles that I had as a screenwriter, having to go through gatekeepers and middlemen to get this thing that I have a vision for to an audience. 
and although I'm not living in LA and on a writing staff for a television show or selling spec screenplays or getting hired to write the latest comic book movie from Warner Brothers or up for assignments for rewrites, I think that this direction for me personally is so much better. I feel like I can envision myself right now in a situation where I'm in a writer's room and you're dealing with network executives. I can see myself in a studio getting notes from executives that don't make any sense. I can see myself working with producers that are trying to get weird things into the story because they're satisfying these other people that they are dealing with and and feeling like the vision that starts with you know sitting there staring at the blank page and creating a script really gets sacrificed in certain situations and enhanced in others through that collaboration no doubt about it but ultimately you're you're working for other people and you're at their mercy when it comes to getting the final product that you had a vision for out to an audience. And what's the end game as a screenwriter as well in Hollywood? You know, everybody jokes around, and I think some people, they're not joking, they're very serious, that writers, you know, get short shrift. You know, I was really frustrated um, this Academy Awards season when they announced all the nominees. They list, you know, best actress in a leading role, best actor in a leading role, best supporting, all this, cinematography, whatever. And they put the name of the person that did it in the list of nominees. Well, when it got down to Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Original Screenplay, it just stated the movie. It didn't put the writer's names in the nominations. These people poured their life into these scripts. And the only thing that gets listed in the nominations is the name of the film. And I just think that that symbolizes significantly what I understand to be the perception of writers in the Hollywood system. And it, it, it frustrates me. I've never experienced it firsthand. Maybe I have to a certain extent. But that life as a screenwriter and, you know, let's say you sell your TV pilot to Apple. And you're looking at... Uh, you know, they're buying the pilot, they're buying the show Bible, they're buying a, a couple episodes, and you know, you're making 500 grand gross. 25% goes to your representation, and then a big chunk goes to taxes. If you manage to incorporate as an S Corp, you can save a little bit by getting hit on the, t- on the corporate tax rate. But you're, you know, you're going to pay out a good 50% at least of all that money. So you got $250,000 left. You've spent 10 years blood, sweat, and tears, maybe you've made 100, 150 grand over those 10 years, which is what, ten dollars to $15,000 a year. And yes, selling a show is going to get you a big leg up. If you have representation, um, you know, you're going to start building leverage and building ahead of steam. It's going to allow you to get more assignments and get rewrites and, and sell original stuff, maybe be on writer staff, um, all that, which is great. There's still this unknown. There's still this battle to continue to create original content that has to go through gatekeepers. And for me, even though 
there's still the 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 difficulty of breaking through and going viral and developing a a huge subscriber base or a bunch of followers or whatever it takes incredible amounts of work it's incredibly difficult the idea that i can still create this content and post to an instagram story or or make this YouTube video and get it out to an audience and be heard and be seen and have that test of whether or not this thing is going to be a thing. I could do this for five years and the most views I ever have on a video is maybe a thousand. There's something incredibly thrilling about having an idea for a video, sitting down like this and executing it, editing it together, getting input from your friends, your collaborators, whoever it is, and then putting it out there. I've never been able to do that. Now I have with stuff I've been hired to do, you know, you get hired to film something and edit something. And there is something cool about putting it out there, especially the ones that are really well and are done well and you're proud of, but there's still something missing. This thing wasn't mine. I was hired to help with this. I was hired to, to edit this. I was hired to write or to write this. I was hired to film this. And, and, and that's exciting. And on some of the projects that I've done for Ariana Grande and Trans-Siberian Orchestra, it's really cool, but something's still missing. And I feel like I'm just now starting to get a taste of what, it, of what the rush is to post something and exhibit it. It's on YouTube. It's out there for audiences to find and discover. And that is something that it feels like a drug. I mean, I'm sitting here it's going on 11 p.m. Normally I'm in bed by now. And after having a conversation with DJ this afternoon, I'm just sitting there going, there's something inside of me that I want to talk about. And, 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 and I hope that you guys don't see this as self-serving because really what this, this is about, it's about communicating to you that if you have that feeling inside of you, that need to create something and get it out there, whether it's a painting, whether it's a video, whether it's photographs, whether it's weird 3D animation stuff, whether it's some other artistic medium, some other finished product that was your vision and you're seeing it come to life and then you're figuring out how to get it in front of an audience, whether it's a pop-up art gallery or YouTube or an Instagram story, uh, it's out there. So if, if you're someone who's struggling like I did with finding your way in with screenwriting and knowing so definitively that your idea is good and that the finished product, that movie, would really resonate with audiences, but then you're met with this no from a gatekeeper, a middleman, and then you're left, what, abandoning the project? You know, you see a lot of people who have financed things independently, who have made things happen themselves. Everything from the Blair Witch Project to, you know, uh, honestly, George Lucas's Star Wars prequel trilogy to, um, you know, people who are using Kickstarter to finance web series and TV shows and, 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 and whatever it is that they're creating. You know, people are pushing beyond that. And the Internet is such an incredible tool to allow that to happen. And I just, I couldn't be more excited as someone who is, is, is a little, who's, who's coming, coming late overall to YouTube since it's been out so long, but I think still coming in ahead as far as trying to figure out ways to create original content. Um, 
how incredibly exciting this is. The digital filmmaking, DSLR, the C100s I'm looking at right now, the tools that I have and, and, and we have to be able to create this content ourselves and upload it to YouTube or Vimeo or whatever the platform is and reach an audience, it's, it's really incredible. And uh, you know, we're getting close to the 10 episode mark with this YouTube channel as far as the stuff that's already posted and the stuff that we have yet to post but we've already filmed. And I can't get enough of it. I, and I think that that level of obsession, that level of excitement, that level of holy shit, this thing that I saw in my head is now a real thing in front of me. And even if I think it has issues, um, and great moments, I can share this with other people and they can see it. And even if it only ends up getting 12 views, you at least got to get it out there. Maybe the next one would catch on and would generate hundreds of extra subscribers, um, thousands of views. Uh, maybe that one's the one that's going to connect. Who knows? For me coming from my brother and I in our yard using a VHS camcorder to make movies that went nowhere but our family room at our house to being able to buy a $2,000 C100, popping in a memory card, sitting down with a few hundred dollars worth of equipment, maybe a thousand dollars worth of equipment, lights and a microphone and all that, and and creating something, creating a finished product with polish and professionalism and uh, and some real skill and getting it out to an audience is, is to me, honestly, nothing short of a miracle when you think about where I came from. I mean, we edited, edited our videos in camera. We, we, we didn't have any way, there, was, there weren't computers to edit the stuff with. The only way you could edit stuff back then was you know, doing it the old fashioned way with film, cutting and splicing and all that. I, I mean, in film school, the film editing software was fairly rudimentary with Final Cut Pro and Avid. I mean, yes, it, it was out there and it was working, but, but we still shot everything on super 16 millimeter. You know, the film school had some nice cameras digital cameras, but they were standard def and they just weren't, the quality was terrible. And then moving to LA, these DSLRs came out 1080 video. Now we look back on the 5D Mark II and we think, oh man, the data rate and all this stuff, that stuff's garbage because of what we have now. And it's just, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, what I have here with my phone, what we, we what we could have done as kids with this, uh, it's unbelievable. Um, and the fact that back then we could have been posting all these these movies that we were parodying and making to YouTube is, uh, I mean, would have been amazing for us. So for the people out there who are like me, who sort of are impulsive and trying to find what it is that really drives them in life, they've been a novelist, they've been a grocery store worker, they've dabbled in this, maybe they're going to be a painter, maybe they're going to be this, maybe they're going to be that, but they've just never really connected with that thing that allows them to, to become obsessed. That's what this is for me. I will still write screenplays. I will write them because I think I'm going to make them myself someday, even if it's 10 years from now or I'm gonna use the money I make from YouTube to turn them into a graphic novel and get it to an audience that way. Or I'm gonna 
figure out, save $50,000 and finance this airplane horror movie that I have myself. We're building something here. And I think what we're building is a brand. We're building leverage and we're building an audience. And that's really what is so exciting about doing this. It feels like progress by leaps and bounds compared to the screenwriting stuff. Even with the opportunities I have right now with screenwriting, especially this pilot, being able to go out to the streaming sites and the networks and the cable companies, you know, I'm a few months away from having a script that's ready to do that. And as thrilling as that is, I still find myself frustrated that that script is going to gatekeepers at each of those major companies and it's got a high likelihood of being turned down. And then what? What happens then? What do you do? That really sums up a lot of my current state of mind and how this ultimate focus on screenwriting and pursuing a career as a screenwriter has really pivoted to pursuing screenwriting in a more roundabout way by having created a production company that has a foundation of commercial and nonprofit client-based work which allows for us to earn a living to build our equipment to build our workspace to really learn a lot about filmmaking and working with the equipment, working with clients, collaborating with each other, with the ultimate goal of moving toward original content through YouTube with something as simple as a Midland Pictures channel like this, where we do how-to videos, show you studio upgrades, talk about gear, have B-roll battles with uh, local filmmakers, interview local filmmakers, building an audience, building a brand, building a following, and monetizing that so that the client-based stuff becomes less of a key part of the business and the original content becomes the bigger portion of that. And then of the original content, depending on where the area of satisfaction of self-expression is the most, where maybe the areas of monetization are the most, how can we look at what's happening on YouTube Instagram, maybe being influencers there, what's happening on other platforms that might come up, what's happening with a film that we create and, and that giving us a connection and leverage in Hollywood to get a first look deal at a studio or to attract financiers so that we can make more films. Or does it allow us to forego all of that and just self-finance everything that we do? Everything from a $5 million indie feature who knows by then you know people could be doing entire 13 episode hour-long episodes of a show and just posting it to their youtube channel and racking up hundreds of thousands if not millions of views on on that um why not so it's going to be exciting to navigate this new path forward not only for me but for the company and the people that i work with because I think what we're really seeing is an excitement to get these things that are inside of us, these visions, um, this art, this self-expression, all of that, to get it out of us into a final product that can get to an audience and then be judged based on its ability to entertain, its ability to inform, its ability to 
provide value to an audience. And again, how can we diversify across all the platforms from podcasts, social media, YouTube, and all the other things that are out there um, to connect with with people through our brand and through our self-expression. That's what the plan is. That's what the pivot is. And again, although screenwriting specifically is not is not being abandoned, it's, it's still being worked on in this sort of circuitous route and this sort of big picture macro attack that we're trying to do in order to um, really build something that has some power and some leverage and an audience and a following. It's monetized. It's it's profitable. It's moving all of us forward with what we're trying to do with our lives. That really is the key. That's what we're excited about. That's what I want to do. And, you know, those moments where a friend sells a, sells a script um, or directs a movie or whatever, and you sometimes think, man, you know, they really, they really hustled. They really busted their ass. They really did what they needed to do to do that. I think ultimately for me, I am better off going this route because of that kind of George Lucas vibe of wanting to not to not have to answer to anybody if I don't want to. To being able to collaborate with my friends, my contemporaries, the people I work with here at the company. It's just it's just amazing that the internet allows for this. If any of you out there are having these thoughts, having these feelings, start making content today. It is it's like a drug. I can't tell you enough how awesome it is to create something and put it out there and push it and hustle it and try to figure out how you can get the attention of people out there and connect with an audience. That's really all I have to say. Uh, if you have any questions, please hit me up in the comments. Um, like this video, subscribe to us. Let's, let's get talking about this and, and see what you guys think. And, and maybe we can uh, talk with some of our uh, the people who have found success pursuing this avenue and what their experience has been. Do they come from where I'm coming from? Um, do they fall into it? You know, how did they get where they were going and where where are they headed? What is their goal? How do we wake up every day and make something that we want to make? Get it out to an audience and let it let it do its thing. That's the dream, and that's what we're trying to do here at Midland Pictures. We're excited for you to watch us on our journey. We're excited for you to be a part of it. I can't thank you enough for watching. Um, we'll see you again soon.